All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. And I don't know the half of it. And neither do you. And it's his kindness, as we've been singing this morning, that he gives me just a glimpse. Uh, And I get to see it all in glory. And I can't wait. And I want every one of you to be there with me. And we want to bring as many people in as we possibly can. not just going to sing in this place. We're going to leave this place here in just a bit, and we're going to be singing that all my life he's been faithful. And we hope others will join us in song. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, I'm Michael, Pastor Michael, and uh, it's an honor to uh, deliver the word to you this morning and preach Jesus and proclaim his excellencies uh, in the absence of Pastor Randy. you all uh, keep him and Linda in your prayers. Um, they, they are in a good place. They're enjoying their anniversary this weekend together, uh, and so they'll be back here shortly, uh, but thankful that they could have some time together away. Um, we have been, if you've been with us, uh, you'll know we've been in a series uh, on the Holy Spirit, and it is my intention to continue uh, this morning in that series. And if you haven't been here, uh, we have been exploring Uh, beginning in John chapter 14. And if you have a Bible, that's where I'd like you to uh, turn open this morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, we have some here in the seats, um, but they're not in every seat. So uh, it'll also be um, on the screen walls, um, I should say. There really aren't any screens there. Um, But uh, we want, yeah, I'm being real particular there, aren't I? Uh, Unnecessarily so. Uh, But uh, John chapter 14, uh, picking up in uh, verses 15 through 17 here in just a moment, and then we'll read uh, some later verses in that same chapter. And I want to remind you, if you haven't realized this, John 14 is part of the Upper Room Discourse. So we've got really from chapter 14 through 17 is some of the last words that Jesus has with his people, the people closest to him, those 12 disciples. And there's, there's just so, so much there within those chapters 14 through 17. Uh, and we're going to just just get our toes dip wet, just dip our toes this morning uh, in, in uh, what I'm going to call the message, the title would be Another Helper. Uh, and you'll see exactly, I'm not being creative or innovative here. Uh, we'll, we're, we're, you're going to see uh, easily where we find um, that this morning's appropriate title would be Another Helper. Helper. So if you're able, join me standing this morning, if you're able, uh, as we read uh, John chapter 14, beginning with verses 15 through 17, and then we're going to look at verse 25. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You'll either turn the page or just come right down a bit to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And this is God's word, and it will endure forever. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. So with the word help, 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 in this room, uh, when we use the word help, uh, there's a mixed reaction, I think. Uh, That word can evoke a lot of different feelings. Uh, Some of us, uh, we refuse to ask for help. We have bought into the lie that we have to do everything on our own. Others of us, that's all we ever do is ask for help because we refuse to take responsibility where, in fact, we have responsibility and do the very things that we must do and that we're responsible for. Think about all the times in your life that you often forget that you've needed help. It started from in the very beginning. You and I could not feed ourselves. You and I could not dress ourselves. Could the, could the picture be any more clear that God said from your very start that you and I need help? We need help. And then if you live long enough, it all starts right back over again. You can't feed yourself. You can't dress yourself. And so the story goes, God is shouting, and some of us, there's so much noise that we refuse to hear how much help we actually need. Or we are asking for help, as I said, where in fact God says, do it. You can do this. I've given you all the tools. I've given you all the resources. I've given you all the intelligence that you can do this. You played on any sports teams, you didn't know how to do, you didn't know how to play the game, you needed help. You, you, you learned how to drive, you need, very few of us just got in and had it mastered from the very start. You needed help. We could go on and on and on this morning. And I ask you as we get, a, get started here, where do you land? Are you that kind of person who tends to never ask for help with a group of students in FCA just a couple weeks ago, I gave the illustration of me not asking for help, and some people can identify with this. You know, you're going to bring the men in the room. We're going to bring all the groceries in in one trip. It looks like this. I've got groceries on both arms, and then I had a bunch of kids, and I've got another one coming, as I just recently announced with you, Um, and I, I enlist them to help me. And it's so much more fun when I can enlist the army, get the groceries. Mom's home, let's get the groceries. That's the intention of God, to enlist all of us, to help one another. That is why we are in this room together, because we need help. And and God is the Holy Spirit, as we just read, is our helper, but so are we. So this morning, the summary of the message is the Holy Spirit's help to the church is supplying our passion, our purpose, and peace. 
The Holy Spirit's purpose in the church, his, his help in the church rather, is in supplying our passion, our purpose, and our much needed, I would say, peace. And both of these, all three of these things, are in agreement with the Father and the Son. They're in agreement with the Father and the Son. They're not diametrically opposed. The, the Spirit doesn't have different ideas or different plans than the Father or the Son. In fact, I'm going to make this note. Uh, notice my summary is intentionally plural. We're, we're talking about the church here. Jesus was speaking to a group of dis- disciples. From those disciples, some 2,000 years in the making, we have Big Branch Church. Do you realize? And every word that comes from the mouth of Jesus is not intended for just one person. It's for the collective body, the church. And, and to be sure, we hit hard on a personal relationship with Jesus, and we're not going to let up on it. But by that, we cannot mean, nor can you misunderstand, that we mean that you're to just do this thing on your own. The personal relationship with Jesus must be corporate, must be collective, must be shared. It's a shared experience. In fact, we've bought the lie that somehow the most important stuff of Christianity happens when we're by ourselves, when in fact that's not true. Are you tracking with me? The most important stuff of the Christian life does not happen when you're in a closet somewhere by yourself. It happens, and that is important. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying and take it too far. But the most, there's very little ink in the Bible, if you take a survey of the Scriptures, that's written to one person. I dare you, take me up on it. There's very little ink spilled in your Bible written to one person. And oftentimes when it was to one person, it was so he would share it with the rest. Yeah? Okay, and so that it would come to us. The context here, we can't speak of the Holy Spirit, as I've already kind of alluded to, without speaking of the Father and the Son. Why? Because we're speaking of God here. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I don't know who to credit. I read this many years ago, and I've used it again and again and again. But the summary goes something like this. God's plan of redemption, the overarching story of God that we found ourselves swept up in, is this. The Father made the plan. The Son performed the Father's plan, and the Holy Spirit applies it to his people. So there's a rescue story, and we're a part of that. We're on the receiving end of that rescue, and it was the Father's idea. The Son agreed, and the Spirit says, yes, let's make it real to you and to us. And that is the Father, the Son, the Trinitarian agreement. In our entire lives, we need to take note, should be, ought to be Trinitarian, we, our, our, our lives should be shaped by Father, Son, Holy Spirit realities. Our songs that we sing, our plans this morning together, the things that we do, the things that we think. Our God is one in essence, and yet he is three in person. You can look later in John chapter 16. Jesus says this, capturing. If you don't believe in the Trinity, because there are churches that do not believe that we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they call us heretics for it. Here, Jesus says in John 16, verses 14 and 15, He, speaking of the the Spirit, will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
Notice the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus right there speaking of our relationship. And it's that community, that perfect community that has existed in all before time was ever conceived of that we've been invited in to commune with the perfect community within the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. And so, again, the message, we need passion, we need purpose, and peace. And the Holy Spirit is here. In fact, we don't know how much help we actually need. And Jesus says here, help is on the way. Are we running low on passion? I don't know about you, but it happens in my life. Where I'm actually running on fumes. And what do I mean particularly about passion? What I mean is loving Jesus. Look at the text. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. What is he going to help us with? Think it has anything to do with loving Jesus and obeying his commands? I think it does. I think it does. We don't, we don't have to make it. We're not stretching things here. We're, we're just looking at the text and seeing what it says. We need more help here loving Jesus than we, than we could ever realize. In fact, loving so much is not the problem, is it? What do I mean by that? It's that we love in all the wrong places, in the wrong direction. Our love is not that we don't have love. We love all sorts of things, all sorts of things that we ought not love. In fact, oftentimes it's me. I love me. And you can do that by making much of yourself, right? Every time you walk into the room, you think you're just the gift to all these people. And everyone should take note. Or, or you're so self-absorbed, you're so defeated, that you all, all you ever think of is, I'm worthless. I'm not capable of anything. And we can land either, either place, can't we? And God says otherwise. So yes, yes, you need help. Yes, I need help. Sometimes we love our jobs way too much. Some of us, we think workaholic is a compliment. Workaholic. I take great pride in the fact that I'm a workaholic. Don't misunderstand. Work and ethic go hand in hand, and it's all over Scripture. Christian people ought to be the hardest working people in all the world. And we ought not shortcut, and we ought not... Tell, tell the world a lie about what we think about being productive and about helping people and doing what we're being paid to do. But we can take that too far. And we can love our jobs to a degree that is quite dangerous and destructive. Entertainment. We can love entertainment. You know what I mean. We can love comfort. We can love predictability. We can love control. Oh, if I could just make him or her do what I want, as if you know just exactly what needs to happen, right? In all scenarios, acting like God, perhaps. You love to sit down on the throne and think that you are the one who knows. Maybe it's just stuff. You just love to have stuff. The more the stuff, the better, right? You want to accumulate all this stuff that you know, if you'll really stop and think about it, it's going to fall right through your fingertips, right? You can't hold on to it. 
It's like trying to grasp the wind, right? There's no need to raise your hand this morning, but I'm curious. How many have heard these words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? And at some way or in some point, some understanding, you've taken this to understand, maybe it's come from a preacher, or maybe it's just your own personal reading by yourself, that Jesus is saying, if you love me, prove it. If you love me, prove it. How many times have we read that and understood that that's what Jesus is saying? The timing of the words in the context of what's the, the situation actually indicates that that's not the case. If we look back at chapter 14, verse 1, what does Jesus say? Let not, let not your hearts be troubled, troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Their hearts are troubled. They have great anxiety. They, they need much-needed peace, as we're going to get to here in just a moment. And with that, he says, if you love me, because you love me, you will keep my commands. Not, I, I'm not really sure that you love me, so you need to start taking up my commands to prove that you do. How, how typical of it is, is it of us, though, to read that into the words of Jesus? Because we can't hear his tone, we take in the text and we imply our own tone, maybe the way that you know, people have treated us or, or, or the way the preacher has been beaten and thumping on his Bible, saying you better pro- prove your legitimacy as a Christian. That's what this whole thing's about. The whole enterprise of Christianity is proving yourself, right? No, it's not. It's about Jesus proving himself and being the acceptable sacrifice, the only one, by the way, that is acceptable to God. Yeah, that'll preach. I know. (laughs) The impossibility of loving Jesus and obeying his commands, I know you're really going to be shocked by this, absolutely demands that Jesus send the Spirit, that the Father send the Spirit. The ability to carry out his commands, to actually obey him and do what he says, demands. And the question is, how often are we leading a life where we really don't even need the Holy Spirit for the life that we're leading. Let that sit for a second. Oftentimes, we're living a life that we very much could live in our own power and strength. When's the last time we said or did something and said, there is no way I can do this without the Holy Spirit? No way. And that's what God has called us into. That's what Jesus is saying here. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul says, In him you also... Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When did the Holy Spirit come into your life? Immediately. Did you hear it? When you believed in him, you were sealed. Not meaning, well, you've you got to start this thing on your own. And then once you really get going, God might start helping once he's seen that you've proven your legitimacy and you've proved the fact that you are really about this thing, you're really serious, you're taking it serious. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us, Jesus says, because you're not going to love me without the Spirit and you're not going to obey me without the Spirit. I, I turn to Philippians 2 verse 3 often because it's so convicting to me and this is one of those where I need the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. In fact, it's as easy as boiling water with a chocolate teapot, okay, without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Philippians 2, 3. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant, more important than yourself, yourselves. Yeah. How does the Spirit help us to fulfill our purpose as a church? So he gives us the passion that is, in fact, loving Jesus. Why? Because we have been loved. How many times do we hear, 1 John four nineteen, for example, we love, Why? Because he first loved us. So the love coming, you, coming from you is a love that has come into you. He has filled our hearts with love. That, that love doesn't just come from you. you. You don't just spontaneously love. You have received love. And, and we know people who really know they're loved don't have much trouble loving. They don't. And people are so hateful, miserable, mean, and nasty... They don't know they're loved. They don't know they're loved. And maybe they haven't been. Maybe in the room you haven't been loved well. And so it's really hard to love others because you don't know what it looks like. You don't know what it feels like. You don't know how. How does the Spirit help us to fulfill our purpose as a church? He gives us passion. He also gives us our actual purpose as the church. And he first helps by giving us a Bible. Did you see in in verses 25 and 26, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you? How in the world would these disciples remember everything that Jesus said, as forgetful as they were? And they were, just like you and I. We have a Bible because the Holy Spirit is the one who led these men to pen these words that are not their own words, right? They're the words of Jesus. You don't have a Bible because men just wanted to control, as we often hear, right, outside these walls. That's a book made by men to control people. But when you actually start reading it, it's like, no, not at all. In fact, that's not the kind of control that men are are, are capable of, right? We We don't, because you start to take these words as they are, and you, as you just heard, you... You're about other people. You're not about yourself, right? Counting others more significant than yourselves, is that something that I would make up? Or that mean uh, tyrants would make up? I don't think so. I don't think so. Last time I checked. And it's easy to get lopsided, to be honest with you. When we hear the question, what's the purpose of the church? It's to win the world for Christ. Yes, it is. But is that the only purpose of the church? No. It's not. It's not. The, the purpose of the church is actually multifaceted. It, there, there, it's actually, it's not complicated, but it has layers, right? There's a complexity to what God has done in his, in his people, for his people, and, and now he's doing through his people. Paul says, I came to you preaching the whole counsel of God. How do you get a whole Christian? Well, you've got you to gotta, you gotta get the whole Bible to him, right? A whole Christian comes from the whole counsel of God, not just one little piece of it. We all have our little piece that we like, right? And we're lopsided because we like that page. We like that verse. We like, Paul says, you need all of it. It's 2 Timothy 3.16, all of it's profitable for doctrine, teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. We need to be trained and we need all of God, not just some of God, We need all of Jesus, we need all of the Spirit, we need all the Father, all the time. And so that's what we have. 
but consolidating his word, taking and pulling it all together. I think it is safe this morning to say the purpose of the church, the bride of Jesus lives to this day, for this day, to exalt God. The bride of Jesus lives for exaltation, that's lifting him up, making much of God, not ourselves, for edification, that's building up one another, that's equipping one another, that's sharpening one another, that's correcting one another, that's discipling one another, and evangelization, that is, taking it to the streets, to the nations, not just Chesapeake, not just the tri-state, but the entire globe is to be filled. As the water fills the earth, so will the glory of God. So we don't retreat. We don't retreat. That's not the Holy Spirit. We glorify God in worship. We're doing that here this morning, but that's all of life. We don't flip a switch when we come in the doors this morning and then turn it back off when we walk out. We glorify God in worship. We strengthen and build the body by the Holy Spirit's power, not our own, and we reach the nations. The Holy Spirit helps us keep his commands. Notice, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. I think it was Anglican pastor John Stott who said, those Christ saves, he churches. Let me say that again. Those Christ saves, he churches. What, do, what does he mean by that? What, is, what does God mean by that? Because we see it, that's coming from here. That's not coming from a man. When God saves you, he saves you from a life of living for yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.15, which I absolutely love. He died for all, and those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died and raised, was dead and raised. So we live for Jesus, Galatians 2.20 and 21. We live as Christ operates through us by the Spirit, but we don't just live for ourselves. We live for the body. So we were saved from the judgment that's coming, but not just from something, but for something and to something and saved in something, a family, a new family, a forever family. You're part of a forever family. When you put your faith in Christ, when the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart. And yet, this caution is warranted. We, we can't and don't equate just because a person is out of church that does not necessarily mean that they're unsaved. But it is certainly important to note that it is very deformed, very deformed, very unhealthy to think that you are saved and you have no need of the church. No need of the church. Like, I don't need my family. Um... And we tend to badmouth the bride of Jesus. God forbid Christians do that because that is us. That's who we are, okay? And Paul goes on to say later in Acts that this church was bought with his precious blood. Think about that, what you're doing when you're badmouthing the bride of Jesus. We can't do that. We ought not do that. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands because you love me. You will keep my commands. And that is our purpose, to obey the Lord Jesus. 
But who's on the receiving end of that? If we're not careful, we'll think, okay, am I, am I, am I obeying Jesus? Am I doing all the things? Like, where am I negligent? Where am I, what, what am I not doing that I ought to be doing? If you look at chapter 14, verse 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. He goes on and says, and greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father. And people have misunderstood that. It's not great. We can't do anything greater than Jesus. Are you kidding me? That's what it sounds like, but it's greater in scope, right? Jesus is one man, simultaneously God. And he goes through and he heals and he opens blind eyes and and he ultimately delivers salvation. He is salvation. And then he empowers his entire body. And the word is still being spread. And you are here, and I am here because greater works in scope, greater works in magnitude, people, the entire globe is being saturated because Jesus has unleashed his church. He has launched his church, his body. And this is not spiritual niceties, okay, or words, because God doesn't waste words, mind you. It's spatial. It's not just spiritual, it's spatial. And by that I mean this is the space wherein we obey God's commands, where we, where we take him at his word and we do it, and, and who's on the receiving end of that? Your brothers and sisters, or your neighbors. You're not yet brothers and sisters, those not yet trusting in Jesus. They're on the receiving end of us obeying the commands of Jesus. John 13, 34 and 35, we, we, we reference this often around here. What, what does it say? A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another. How so? To what extent? Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then he adds, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How much help do we need Church, how much help do we need to be loving the people in this room so that so much so that our outside neighbors and community have to stop and take note? They, they are interrupted, their lives are interrupted by the way that we're loving each other in here that they say, oh my goodness, that is different. I have never seen such a love. I mean, I love my kids and I love my wife and, you know, I've... But that's, that's wholly different, altogether different. And they just, they're interrupted, and they can't look away. In fact, if Big Branch Church closed its doors, the community would suffer. That's the kind of love. How much help do we need with that? All the help we can get. Holy Spirit, help. Because you and I know we can't pull it off. We're not pulling it off as, as much as we try and try and try again in our own power and our own measures. You cannot do it. You can't pull it off. I'm not pulling it off unless I'm in the Spirit, relying on Him to love like Jesus. We can say, we can say here this morning that Jesus says, because you love me, you will love your neighbor. That's what he says here. Because you love me, you will love your neighbor. Matthew 22, 37 to 39, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God. When he was asked, What's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great 
in first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when you ask God, when this man said, what's more important, loving God or people? Jesus says, yes. What's the answer to the question? What's more important, loving God or people? Yes. Because loving God, you're loving, peop- you're, you're loving people, inevitably. If you're loving people, you're loving God. I mean, there is no disconnect there. there that is absolute harmony right there, right? And so when you do a lousy job, though, God says, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done helping, Right? You just can't get with the program. You are a failed follower. You are a lousy lover. No. No. What does he say in verse 16? He will give you another helper, Jesus says, to be with you how long? Forever, you lousy lover. Forever. The Holy Spirit, when you can't get it right, when you don't get it right, when you are so selfish, count others more significant than yourselves. When you're counting, when you're accounting, sounds more like I am more important than everyone else. The Spirit won't give up on you. He will help and won't let up. Why would you need help with being at peace? Point number three. If we're running low on passion, it's because we need to look to the Spirit's help to love Jesus. We also need to look to the Holy Spirit's help to fulfill our purpose, which is obeying Jesus' commands in the context of the church and also outside to your neighbor. Why in the world would you need help with peace? Well, you read on in 25 to 27. Peace I leave with you, he says. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Crystal Taylor's favorite verse. For the Father is greater than I. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Because we are a new creation in Christ. Why would we need peace? Because we're still longing and waiting for the new creation. We are a new creation. But this is not home. You need to be reminded, yeah? Because you've kind of put deep roots down, right? And they need to be severed. And the Holy Spirit will do that through Christ. Why would we need peace? It's kind of obvious. We love him, but we don't see him. These disciples are about to feel the weight of his absence. And he speaks into that. The disciples are about to feel the one who has so loved them. What did Peter say at one point? Jesus says, look at all of them. They just left me because he had some hard words. And Peter says, he says, are you, are you all going to leave me too? And Peter says, where else? Where, we have nowhere else to go. Where, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. You, you alone have loved me unlike I've ever known a love. And so they're about to feel this weight, and you and I, brothers and sisters, we feel the weight, don't we? We feel it right now. Sin, sin comes with misery in tow. 
Sin comes with a misery. And I'm talking about living on the receiving end of, end of sin when people are sinning against you and you're the victim of it. But it also comes with a misery when you're the sinful one who is sinning against others and the Spirit convicts you of that. Right? He does. And there's this, there's, there is a misery. You don't have to like be high on life all the time. You're not being real. You've taken the Psalms and ripped them out of your Bible and just tossed them. If, if, you're, if that's who you think it is to be a follower and lover of Jesus. In, in chapter 16, just in this same farewell discourse, the upper room discourse, in chapter 16 we read in verses 8 through 11, he's speaking of the Spirit again, and when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me, Concern, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. He says, I'm going away. Because I have said these things in verse 6, sorrow has filled your heart. Does anyone in the room know what it is to have a heart filled with sorrow? If you've lived, you know what it is to have a heart that is so full of sorrow that, that you, you need peace and, it, and you can't find it. There is no peace to be found in our text, Jesus will soon be crucified and dead. Really? Jesus, the maker of all things, died. And he was telling them that this was going to take place. They didn't fully understand it. You and I don't fully understand it. People you love most people who have loved you most, people whom have needed you, your children perhaps, your family, your friends. When they're gone, sorrow fills your heart and you feel the weight of that and I feel the weight of that and it's into that that Jesus says, I'm sending a helper whom will give you peace, but not just any peace. Not peace that the world gives, but my peace. Oh, the peace of Jesus, agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying to the point of blood seeping from his pores, agonizing, and yet, a peace that would betray what's happening physically to him, yes, because he is human at the same time God. A peace that allows him to say for us when we fail to say it, mind you, not my will, but your will be done. Peace says not what I want but what you desire because this is bigger than me. Jesus' prayer, this is, this is bigger than me in this moment. And if you and I could only get just a piece of that, that some of the things that, that God permits in our lives, it's not just about us. It's, it's not just about us. 
It's bigger than you and I. Peace won't come easy, will it? That's why we need help. What comes easy is despair. What comes easy is hiding. What comes easy is fight, flight, or maybe you're one who freeze. You're paralyzed. That's what comes easy. That is what comes instinctive. What comes easy is not shaving, forgetting to eat. What comes easy is giving up and wallowing. Could there be a more obvious area we need help than in the realm of peace? I think not. We need peace. You need peace. I need peace. And don't miss this before I close. Small word, but oftentimes small, big things in small packages, right? Jesus says, I will send another helper. That's huge because the one to come is not going to help you in any other way than Jesus has been helping them. Right? So I'm giving myself not a different kind of help, not more help, not less help, but the very help of having Jesus right by your side. He goes on to say, it's to your advantage that I leave. It's better to have Jesus on the inside of you than to have him right here beside of you. And that is mind-blowing, and I can't wrap my mind around it. I hope my heart will get a, a hold of it, and yours too. Not just a peace, but my peace. And it's not unlike what Paul says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In who? In Christ Jesus. By whom's power? The Holy Spirit. By whom's provision? The Holy Spirit. If you would, stand with me. The Holy Spirit has come to help in the area of our passion, in our love. The Holy Spirit has come to help us with the purpose of why we are still here. And he sets the pattern and the pace for us. And then he also gives us that peace. When peace like a river attendeth my soul. What comes following that? It is well. It is well with my soul. So this morning, as we have a response time, and we'll sing here in just moment, a moment, you guys know because you've been a part. You know how, what, what, how you, you, to some degree, you know what's going to happen. But I hope that doesn't turn you off to responding to what the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart, not through Michael, not from Michael, but from on high. Take the commands of Jesus to your neighbors. Start at home. That means right here. And in your own home as you leave this afternoon. I'm going to read something. And then we're going to pray. And I read this in my devotion this past week, and I thought it fitting. Father of Jesus, this prayer says, Dawn returns, but without thy light within, no outward light can profit. Give me the saving lamp of thy spirit, that I may see thee. The God of my salvation, the delight of my soul, rejoicing over me in love. I commend my heart to watch 
to thy watchful care, for I know it's treachery and power. Guard its every portal from the enemy. Give me quick discernment of his deadly arts. Help me to recognize his bold disguise as an angel of light and bid him be gone. May the words and his may my words and works allure others, invite others to the highest walks of faith and love. May loiterers, those who are sitting idle by, be quickened to greater diligence by my example. May worldlings, those without Jesus, be won to delight in acquaintance with thee. May the timid and irresolute be warned of coming doom by my zeal for Jesus. Cause me to be a mirror of thy grace, to show others the love of thy service. May my lips be well-tuned cymbals sounding thy praise. Let a halo of heavenly-mindedness sparkle around me and a lamp of kindness sunbeam my path. Teach me the happy art of attending to things temporal, temporary, with a mind intent on things eternal forever. Send me forth to have compassion on the ignorant and the miserable. Help me to walk as Jesus walked, my only Savior and perfect model. His mind, my inward guest. His meekness, my covering path. Let my happy place be amongst the poor in spirit. My delight, the gentle ranks of the meek. Let me always esteem others better than myself. And find in true humility an heir to two worlds. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.